The Lord's given me a message today that, as I said, I think we need. I know I need it. And um, if you feel like you're in a place in life where things are good and you're strong and, and this doesn't really apply to you good, pray for the rest of us and you'll need it sometime. What I want to talk to you about today, what the Lord has given me is adoption. When God saves you, you experience spiritual adoption. You're adopted into His family. And I want us to think about today and and pray that the Lord will help me get this across what He's put on my heart. But we're going to talk about what does it mean to be adopted by God. What all does that mean? What does it mean to be adopted by the Creator of the universe? by the King of kings and Lord of lords, by the one who doesn't faint or grow weary, by the one who made all of this, what does it mean to be adopted by Him? And I want to give you some truths that God put on my heart that will help you in seasons of spiritual attack. Let's begin by reading in Romans 8. If you want to turn with me, Romans 8. We'll also read from Ephesians 1 in a little bit, but we'll start... With Romans 8. And for context, I think I will. I'll just begin in verse 1 because there's so much good truth here. But the actual text that, that we'll take is the 15th verse. Beginning in Romans 1 There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life. <laughs> In Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, But they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. We're going to come back to that one, so pay attention. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is not of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken or awaken your mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwelleth in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if you live after the flesh, you shall die, but if you live through the Spirit... And mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs with God, and join heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we might also be glorified together. 
For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Holy Spirit, Lord, I come before you today and I I ask for your help. Lord, I ask for your comfort for everybody who needs it, but I ask for your help as I stand and try to preach. Anoint me with your spirit. Open the hearts of everybody listening. Let your word go forth freely that you might accomplish your purpose. Not what I think we need, what not what anybody else thinks we need, but what you know we need. In Jesus' name, amen. How many of you would your life be better if you lived with a spirit of adoption instead of a spirit of fear? Instead of a spirit of self-condemnation? Instead of a spirit of turmoil? Instead of a spirit of chaos? Instead of a spirit of bitterness or resentment or distraction? What if a spirit of adoption pervaded your life? It would all be different. Maybe some of you have, I hope this is true, some of you have experienced seasons of life where a spirit of adoption has completely overwhelmed everything about you. And you realize what a precious gift it is to be a child of the King. That there's nothing you can do to separate you from His love for you. Let's start with that this morning. That is foundational to the spirit of adoption. You can't do anything to make God stop loving you. It's not possible. Then why do so many of us in religion live as if we could do something to make God stop loving or liking us? I'll tell you that too. Not only does He love you, He likes you. He likes His children. Even if we might not always like each other. God loves us enough, He knows who we are. And the reason Paul was able to start out the beginning of this chapter in his Roman letter with, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Do you understand what that means? Don't be hard on... Condemnation is, uh, you, you go to trial, you go to court. All of your actions are brought before the judge. Everything you did. And if you're guilty, the judge condemns you to your sentence. Every one of us, except for the grace of God, our condemnation would have been hell. And separation from Him in this life. But if you have been adopted by Him, I want to start here this morning. There is no condemnation. There is no judgment that's going to be cast against you. Do you understand that? You can't do anything to be condemned by God anymore. There is no condemnation. Why? Because the perfect blood of Jesus Christ is what God looks at you through. You understand? You can't be good enough. And you don't have to be good enough because God looks at you through Jesus who's perfect. There's no condemnation. So stop living like there is. Stop. I want you to understand, and I, I don't want to get ahead of myself. I want this message to make sense, but I also want to yield to the Holy Spirit. You can mess up your life by living in sin. And there's people, I don't know if there's people here, but, but there are people who chose to reject God, live in sin, and came to Him later, and they'll always tell you it was a bad idea. They cause problems for themselves. 
If that's the case, stop. Don't live in sin, repent, come to the Lord. Your life will be better. But that's not where my heart's at this morning. Yes, you can mess up your life. You can cause problems. For, but here's, here's what God has put in my heart this morning. Some of you who are trying to serve the Lord, who are sincere, who have hearts for Him, who have a hunger and thirst for righteousness, and who aren't living in sin, but you're still a sinner. Every one of us. There are seasons in your life where you are hit with such despair and trouble and suffering that it doesn't make any sense. I'll tell you something, as a preacher, Mondays are the hardest day of the week. I don't know if y'all experience that, but I've talked to other godly men who have. You preach in the power and presence of the Lord, there's nothing like it. And then Monday morning, sometimes a deep depression sets in. And it makes no sense until you realize, this is what God showed me, it's a demonic attack. It is spiritual Warfare And part of this message today, God is going to use me to give you some tools to get out of that. Say, that's bold, preacher. Well, that's what he put in my heart. And I trust him. I don't depend on my own ability. I don't have to figure out how to give you this. He's going to. He has to, because I can't. Understand, this is too big. I'm not just teaching you Bible ideas. This is something that God wants to use to give you spiritual freedom. I can't do that. I don't have anything to do with it. So I have to depend on Him. Let's talk about some of this and then we'll, we'll look at some more scriptures. There's a few principles of adoption that are so beautiful that we need to get. The first, there's three that I want to really focus on. The first one is this. The Heavenly Father never unadopts Anybody that he has adopted. He doesn't unadopt you. There's nothing you can do to make him unadopt you. Because he knows past, present, and future. When he chose to adopt you, he knew what you would do. He knew when you would sin. He knew that it's coming. He knew the sins I would do. And not one of those sins makes him question whether he should have adopted me. That's the unconditional love of God. That's the first point. The Heavenly Father never unadopts anybody. The second point. God's love, our Heavenly Father's love is unconditional. And it cannot be prevented or diminished by anything in this world. And the third point. This is what I really want you to get. The Heavenly Father doesn't give up on children who fall. He's so good. You think about yourself in comparison to your child. And I, right now I have a, a child, a baby, 18 month old. And um, I wouldn't say I'm hard on her, but I'm, I'm pretty unwavering about things that I want her to understand. And yet, when she falls, literally falls, I don't get mad at her. When she doesn't understand or does something, I don't get mad. Even as small as she is, when there's been a few times that I had to get her attention because she was doing something dangerous, I wasn't angry. I'm a messed up sinful man and I love her that much. Imagine how much the infinite creator of the ends of the universe, how much, here's what I'm trying to say, how much 
higher up than her I am, how much more mature, how much wiser. God is infinitely more mature, wiser, better, stronger, kinder, gooder than us. And so if I love her with what I perceive to be unconditional love, there's nothing she could do to make me stop loving her. Y'all know this. You parents tell, is this the truth? Even if you have children who get off and have a bad life, you don't stop loving them. And the separation between she and I is not infinite. The separation between us and God is infinite. So if what I experience in her loving her is what, what I... It, it's unconditional as far as I can tell. But God's love for us is unconditional and infinite. There's nothing you can do to disappoint Him to the point that He'll stop loving you. If you could just get that. And not just get it in your mind, but get it in your life your life would be so much more effective. Because so many of us, there's religious people who think that you have to do something to be saved, that you have to be good enough, that you have to clean yourself up. A lot of people in this room understand that it takes the grace of God, that salvation comes by grace and not by any works of righteousness. We would all agree on that. Salvation is by grace, which is unmerited. There's nothing you can do to earn it. And yet, many of us live our lives as if, although salvation was by grace, I still need to serve the Lord by my own strength. But you don't have to. The same unconditional childlike faith and surrender that it took for you to trust Him for salvation is the same way you must serve Him effectively in this life. Helplessly. But you're not helpless through Him. Anything you can do in your own strength, you will be. So let's, let's spend a little time on this first point. The Heavenly Father never unadopts anybody. Is there anybody that disagrees with that? It's interesting. A lot of religious people say, well, you can lose your salvation. Really? Silliest thing I've heard. And I'm not being critical. I could go through apologetically of verses and prove this to you scripturally. But let, sometimes just doing the Bible makes people glaze over. They don't get it. Let's just talk practically. Why would God, who knows everything, adopt somebody just to unadopt them later? It doesn't make sense. If you don't do this, this, and this, you're not my child anymore. There's no example of anything like that in Scripture. Nowhere. So get out of the vague, obscure, too much time in books and listening to bad teachers about, well, you could lose your salvation. Think about it bigger than that. Can you get unadopted by the one who adopted you with unconditional love? No. And that should motivate us to serve Him in a deeper way than we can even comprehend. Another thing about that, the very language... You can lose your salvation gives way to the lie that's embedded in it. Salvation isn't something you have or something you hold. Salvation is something somebody did, is doing, and will continue to do for you that you never could have done on your own. Some of y'all don't know what the word salvation even means if you think you can lose it. Salvation is deliverance. You don't do deliverance to yourself and you don't hold on to deliverance. You get delivered. <laughs> You are delivered. You are saved. You don't have salvation. I know we use language like that because we're trying to describe something that we experienced. We experienced a working of the Holy Spirit when He saved us that we call my salvation. That's okay. 
You can call it that, but it's bigger than that. What you experienced when God gave you new life, when you were born supernaturally, that's something you felt and you know about. And as Paul told us earlier in this letter, the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit. He witnesses deep down inside that we are His. And yet, salvation is deliverance. Salvation is more than that feeling you have. It is God taking you out of definite condemnation, punishment for eternity, taking you out of that and putting you over here in promised eternal life. So it doesn't even make any sense. The language doesn't even work. Salvation is something somebody else has to do for you. And if you've been saved, you know this on some deep level. No matter how bad this battle in your mind might sometimes be, no matter how false teachers might try to confuse you, you know deep down inside that what happened to you isn't something you can lose. Forget what this noisy mess up here says. Listen in here to what you know. You know this. Here's another thing. When God adopts you, you're given a home in heaven. Jesus said, I went away to prepare a place for you. He's not the kind of person to prepare and then destroy something. He, he says, I've prepared a place for you. In my Father's house are many dwelling places, many mansions. If it were not so, wouldn't I have told you? Do you think when God saves you, Jesus goes to prepare your eternal home, that as soon as you do something He doesn't like, He starts tearing it down? That doesn't line up with anything we know about God. I got mad at Him, so now I'm going to destroy the house I've been building. It doesn't even make sense. When God adopts you, you're given a home in heaven that's kept by His power for all of eternity. Listen to this from Peter. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The living hope is because of the resurrection of Jesus, not because you believed or thought something. If all you did was believe in God, maybe you're not really saved. Maybe that's why you wonder if, if you can lose it. If it's just a belief you're holding on to, you can lose it. But if this is an eternal, supernatural transformation that God did for you, and He is building an eternal home for you, you can't lose that. Because you never held on to it. How many of you have held on to your home in heaven? You don't even know what it looks like. You don't even know where it is. You don't even know how to find it. There's no way you could hold on to it. Huh. He has begotten us or born us again into a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. This isn't a reservation in a restaurant where the hostess can get confused. This is a reservation made by the one who has no confusion kept by the Holy Spirit for eternity. You can't lose it. To an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, listen to this, who are kept by the power of God through faith. You are kept by God's power. Thank you. You're kept by His power. There's nothing you can do to lose it. 
It doesn't say that you have something that you're supposed to hold on to. It said God has someone that he's holding on to. There's a big difference. Who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. Kept by the power of God. You think God's power is limited by your behavior? Your, your actions, what you might do? Now, don't get me wrong. You can experience less of God's power and presence and happiness than He wants you to because of your own decisions. But what we're talking about is God being limited. He's not. Kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you're in heaviness through manifold temptations. We started the service out with honesty today. Some of you have been through seasons of heaviness. Heaviness. And you know what? That's okay. When you have suffering, when you have doubt, when you have despair, even when something in your life happens, if you're honest, and you say, Lord, this makes me wonder if you're even there. Tell him. Be honest. He's big enough for you to be honest with him. That the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found under the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Beautiful. I could spend a whole lot more time on a lot more verses telling you, no, here's why your salvation is eternal. But I have other things on my heart to spend time on. If any of you doubt that, feel free to sit down and talk with me about it. More important than that, talk to God about it. Why don't you ask Him if Pastor Josh is wrong about this? Why don't you ask Him, Lord, have you really saved me to the uttermost? God, if I'm yours forever, show me. Let Him show you. That's better than anything I could tell you. The second point. Our Heavenly Father's love is unconditional cannot be prevented or diminished by anything. Not your decisions or actions, and certainly not the decisions or actions of some other sinful person. I want to read this portion of Romans 8 in uh, the New Living Translation because it, it brought some things to light that I think will touch you. The Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. Let's just stop there. Some of you feel guilty about feeling weak. That's what the Holy Spirit's for. To help you in your weakness. The Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for. Some of you are hard on yourself because you feel like you don't know what to pray for or how to pray. The Holy Spirit helps with that too. The Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads for us in harmony with God's own will. <laughs> that is so comforting and beautiful to me because there's so many times I feel like I can't even pray. I feel like, Lord, I don't even know what to say. I feel like... You're separated from me, but you know what? The Holy Spirit intercedes and He prays in harmony with the will of God. I don't have to figure it out because He's helping me. If that doesn't comfort you, I don't know what will. Right. 
The Father, who knows all hearts, knows what the Spirit is saying, for the Spirit pleads for us in harmony with God's own will. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose for them. For God knew His people in advance, and He chose them to become like His Son, so that His Son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, He called them to come to Him. And having called them, He gave them right standing with Himself. And having given them right standing, He gave them His glory. What shall we say then about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us... Who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Listen to that. God loved you enough to sacrifice his precious, perfect, only son. Why would he hold something else back if he didn't hold back his only son? Doesn't even make sense. Who then will condemn us? No one. So stop condemning yourself. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us, and He's sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand pleading for us. Now listen to this. You think something can separate you or prevent God's love? Listen. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean He no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity? I can't tell you the number of people something bad happens in their life. A tragedy. I preached last week. If If you haven't heard it, listen to it. When tragedy strikes, because tragedy comes to God's people as well. Sometimes people go through something difficult that they call tragedy and they start to question whether God even loves them. But listen, does it mean He no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or if we're persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake we're killed every day, we're being slaughtered like sheep. No, Despite all of these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. Present. Overwhelming victory is ours. You might not realize it in a season of manifold temptations, in a season of heaviness, in a season of pain, but you already have victory over it. Doesn't mean you don't have to go through it. It still hurts. It's still sad. It's still hard. This is one of my favorite passages. I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, angels or demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below, indeed nothing in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that's revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. You don't need to memorize that. Say it to yours. Put it on your bathroom mirror. You women, when you get up in the morning and put on makeup because you don't think you're pretty enough, read that. You men, when you get up and go to, not that women don't go to work and hopefully men don't wear makeup, but when you're getting ready for your day, put this in you. Whatever it is, there's nothing that can separate you from God's love. Certainly nothing you can do. Again, that's not an excuse to sin, and it doesn't mean you can make your life worse through sin. Of course you will and can. Don't do it. But, but here, here's what I'm trying to say. You're going to sin because you're, you're a sinner. God's not going to stop loving you because He's God. 
So don't allow the enemy to get a foothold when you do something that you knew you shouldn't have to spiral down into this, oh, I'm just useless and bad and am I even saved? Don't do that. When you sin, repent. And then keep serving the Lord. That's what I'm saying. Let's move to the third point and finish up. I love this one. The Heavenly Father does not give up on His children who fall. I've talked to people. I've known people. Who when they do something that they think they shouldn't have done. When they're not good enough. When they don't maintain things the way they think they should have. They feel like God has abandoned them. It might feel that way to you, but that's not scriptural. You have received the Holy Spirit if you've been saved. He lives inside of you. And He's not fickle and flighty like some of us. Like somebody hurts your feelings and you don't like them anymore. The Holy Spirit's not like that. He doesn't just leave or take up residence somewhere else. He lives inside of you for eternity. He is the earnest of the expectation. He's the down payment for the promise of God. He's the confirmation that you have salvation. Certainly there's times where you hear His voice less clearly and there's times that we can separate ourselves excuse me, from experiencing Him, but He's still there. People have these ideas like um, you better stay sanctified if you want the Holy Spirit. There's whole denominations built on this. Can't wear certain kind of clothes, can't do certain kind of things, can't eat certain kind of things. If you do, God's not going to like you anymore. They don't say it that way, but that's the more truth about it. That's what they teach. And I'm not pointing out some particular group. I'm saying any religious teaching that makes you think that is wrong. It's from hell. It's not from God. Because what God teaches is there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Better make sure you stay sanctified if you want the Holy Spirit. No, here's the truth. You can't sanctify yourself. The Holy Spirit is there when you're not sanctified because He's the one who has to sanctify you. I like, I mean, we should say that's right, yes. Some of y'all are, I hope you get this, because it's not, religion makes us think the exact opposite thing, and, and why? Because we have an enemy, called Satan or the devil or whatever you want to call I hate him. He's the only person we should hate. He's, he's pure evil, nothing but evil. He wants to destroy, derail, diminish Everything that God has done. He came to steal, kill, and destroy, and Jesus came to give us life. Here's what I'm telling you. It is the enemy who makes you think things like that. you got to be good enough or God's not going to let you. No. God helps you because you can't be good enough. Better be sanctified. No. The Holy Spirit sanctifies you. This thing that you might have had in your mind, it's the exact backwards of the truth. You don't have to be good enough. That's a lie. You can't be. Some people have this idea. You better stay strong or you might disappoint God and He'll take His Spirit from you. They might not say those words, but there's this attitude. If I'm weak, God will be disappointed. 
This is so deep inside of some people that I have talked to people on their deathbed. I'm not exaggerating. Saying, I don't know what I've done to be going through this. God must be disappointed with me. That's a lie from Satan. While you're going through that, is there sin in the world? There's corruption. We're all moving toward death. It's the unavoidable outcome for all of us. It's not something God's doing to you. Better stay stronger. God. No. God is there when we're at our weakest. How many of you, when you had little children, look at them and, you're not strong enough, I'm not helping you. No, you help them when they're not strong enough. That's the point. Again, my little girl, the Lord used her to teach me all kinds of things. When we're out walking, she finally decided to start walking. Refused to for a while. And now she'll walk a little while, toddle around so cute. And then a few minutes, she'll hoe it, hoe it, hoe it. I don't get mad at her. You're not strong enough. Come on. But some of y'all think that's how God looks at you. Stop it. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Some of us live as if we're really supposed to get strong enough on our own. Like we're supposed to go to the spiritual anytime fitness and get to work and make ourselves better. And then God can... No. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Even youth shall grow tired and weary and fall and faint. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. That is all done through the power of God. Nothing you can do on your own. Here's something that that soaks into us. Maybe not in these exact words, but it's there. You better make sure you believe all the right things. Yeah, make sure you have the right doctrine or God's going to get mad and not, not let you have His presence. Well, how do you think you get to believe the right things? Without the Holy Spirit, you're not going to. Jesus said, I'm sending the Comforter who will guide you into all truth, the Spirit of truth. And if the Holy Spirit is not present, you're not going to have any truth because He's the one that has to guide you into it. And this is, in our denomination, that, that, that needs to go away. That we think we have to be right enough. And we are right enough, and everybody else isn't, and therefore God's pleased. You're not going to be right without the Holy Spirit. Because you won't know what true is. Because you can't. Listen, God doesn't give up on children who fall. Children, that's what they do, they fall. They make mistakes. There's a reason God lets you learn to walk when you're only a foot and a half tall, because it's not that far to fall. He's merciful, even in that. Children, I mean, our whole lives, most of what we learn to do is through doing something that we shouldn't have done. It's okay. You walk in, you trip, okay, now I need to look down where I'm going. You trip on something else, I need to watch out for that too. God, He doesn't get mad about that. Here's what I want to spend a little time on before we finish. As I said in the beginning, sometimes sometimes you're trying to serve the Lord and you're, you're, you're being used by Him. And there's no uh, ongoing sin in your life that you're refusing to let go of. 
You're, you still sin because you are a sinner, but I'm talking about a sinful lifestyle that you're refusing to abandon. That's not the case with you, and you're seeking Him, and you're hungry for His presence, and you feel Him, and then this environment comes out of nowhere seemingly. Here's the first thing I want to tell you. This is common to God's people. It happens to God's people. And I have so much distaste for these supposed preachers who get up and present themselves as if they're a paragon of moral virtue and they're strong and you need to be like them as if they're the model. I'm not the model. I'm weak. There are plenty of times in the middle of the week when all I can say to the Lord is, I don't feel like I'm hearing from you. I have no idea what I should give the people. You know what I do when I feel that way? I don't go to my study and try to invent something. I try to go to the Lord and just sit with Him until He shows me. I'm not always with Him where I should be. I'm not always as close as I want to be, but you know what? His Holy Spirit is still there. He doesn't leave. But here's what I want you to know. If you have problems, seasons of heaviness, difficulty, trouble in your life... Like I said, sometimes on a Monday, a preacher, I'll just talk about myself, but I think it's true for a lot of people. It's, it's hard. It's heavy. This is spiritual warfare. It's an attack from the enemy. And when this happens, here's the first tool I want to give you. Don't try to be spiritual. When you don't feel spiritual, don't try to make yourself be spiritual. When you don't feel spiritual, be honest. It's powerful when somebody comes in church and, 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 and they're here and the Lord moves and they might get up and the Lord's on that you can feel His presence. Maybe tears are flowing and they say, I didn't even want to be here today. I didn't even feel like coming. But then God. And they tell about how He showed them or they felt Him. That's powerful. That's a whole lot more powerful than pretending you wanted to be here. So when you go through these attacks from the enemy, don't try to be spiritual. Be honest with God. Even if you're not honest with somebody else, be honest with Him. This is a, another tool. No matter how much we talk about God's grace, I, I mentioned this earlier, there's still a part of us that thinks we need to do some of it on our own. So the second tool I want to give you when you're in these spiritual battles with the enemy, stop trying to handle it. Stop trying to manage it. Stop trying to do it. Just be honest with God. And I want to reinforce these scriptural truths. Some people feel like God leaves whenever they disappoint Him. Why would God leave you when you need Him the most? You need the Holy Spirit the most when you are weak. And when you have fallen. And when you are struggling. Why would He abandon you in those moments? That's not what a loving father does. A loving father helps when you're at your weakest. He says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. If the Holy Spirit leaves when you're not good enough or sanctified enough, what hope do you have of becoming more sanctified? Only he can do it. He doesn't leave you. When He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He'll guide you into all truth. He won't speak of His own. He'll speak only what He hears, and He'll tell you what's yet to come. Listen to this, too. 
John 14. These things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you, but the Comforter, which is the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance. Whatsoever I've said unto you, peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world gives, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. That's the heart of God for you. He doesn't give you peace just to take it away when he gets frustrated. In fact, I'm not sure frustration is an emotion God feels. I don't, I don't know that that would be accurate to attribute to him. Let me make this really simple. When I've had times in my life of weakness, despair, doubt, dis- being dismayed, I don't know if y'all have all gone through stuff like that. I have. There was a time some years back where I remember telling some friends. It sounds silly to say now, but this is what I felt deeply inside. I feel like my whole life has been wasted. (laughs) What a dumb thing to think. You know why I thought it? The enemy. The enemy. Those are thoughts from Satan. When you have thoughts like that, don't listen. When you feel separated from the presence of God, here's what I'm going to leave you with. Don't try to be religious, spiritual, or strong on your own. Just go sit in His presence. You say, well, I don't feel like praying. Don't. You don't have to pray. Just go sit there. There's times I feel so disconnected from God. I mean, even recently. that I go lay down in a field somewhere or in my driveway and just look up at the clouds and the stars? I go sit on a kayak and just look at the surrounding lakeside or go sit in the woods somewhere. And sometimes it takes, I'm embarrassed to say it, sometimes it takes 30 minutes, an hour, two, four hours before I can feel anything. I'm not talking about feeling the power. I mean feeling anything. God knows. And then when I start to be able to feel something, then I start to honestly talk to him. Lord, here's how I feel. I feel disconnected. I feel separated from you, but I know you're here. I need your help. I need you. We start praying that way. Oh, God will help. God never gives up on his children who fall. He never unadopts you, and he has unconditional love for you if you are his child. Let me leave you with this. Make sure you're his child. And if you are, assure your heart with these truths. If you're not sure that you're his child, fix, figure that out first. Seek him. Let him show you. But once you're sure you're a child of God, his love is infinite.